We are continuing our series in Comfort Doctrines. And the question this morning is, are we saved by works? We have established that comfort is emphasized in Scripture, in Scripture, and something God wants us to have. We've looked at the false concepts of comfort that are deceiving countless souls in our world today. And we have shown that there is a place of eternal torments for the unsaved. We looked uh, recently at once saved, always saved. And we examined and exposed that false doctrine. But today we want to look and go another direction and deal with the subject of works and our salvation. Salvation by works, we could say. And not a lot like the other doctrines that we've already looked at, this particular one gives you or gives one's soul or one's uh, thought false security. Of course, we know that God is comfort and our Lord is comfort. But this morning we asked the question as well, what is salvation about? What does it consist of? Is it merely one just being baptized for the mission of their sins? And I'm saved and everything is good? No. Is it I can do enough good that my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds? Is that my salvation? Of course not. What is your salvation? And this morning we want to look and expose this false teaching. The concept of salvation by good works is somewhat deceitful. Typically, one will not profess such to be the case, but deep down, it is exactly what many believe, and unfortunately, it's in the Lord's church. There are ideas that good works outweigh your evil works means salvation. There are far too many people today that believe that their salvation will depend upon the amount of good that they do for others for God. When someone, for example, says, but I'm a good person. I'm not that bad. I'm a good person. They're depending upon their works to save them. There are work-based religions that in essence teach that if you do certain things, they alone will save you. One of those religions is Islam. 
Another one is Catholicism. A works based where a priest can pronounce your penitence, uh, your penance to receive forgiveness. And, and we could go on, the baptism of babies. And, and we're certainly that faith is not even an essence. It's not even uh, in the picture at all. Now there are minimalists who seek to get by as just being a good person and doing as little as possible to earn salvation. We might call those, or we might say that those people who attend only on Easter or maybe at a Christmas time and, 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 and certainly are good people In their thinking, they'll be saved. Some, through this doctrine or through this way of thinking, want to pick and choose which commands they must keep while rejecting others. And they reason this way, as long as I do what God commands in this area, I'll be okay. For example, one would say, if only I am baptized, or maybe I'm only a good person, I'll be fine. Some people want to think that way. As long as I'm not murdering someone, or I'm not cheating on my wife, or I'm not cursing, or I'm not this, or I'm not that, some think that's their salvation. Some says, oh, I will be able to go to heaven. You see, they want to elevate those things over the rest of the word of God. They fall short. Now notice this. They fall short in total obedience, complete obedience. When people place emphasis on certain things, they take and rule out the rest of the things of God. We see an example of that in Matthew 22 in verses 35 through 40 where the people placed an emphasis on the Ten Commandments. And our Lord says that's not where the emphasis should be. A lot of people will say, oh, I can obey the Ten Commandments. But our Lord addresses that. Others may choose a certain set of commands as finding the true church and, and, and saying, oh, and base their salvation on, on that alone. And they may know the Bible inside and out. Those who say, oh, I'm going I'm to expose false doctrine. And they may know the Bible inside and out. But they lack in others, other areas of God's word. You see, the problem with such examples is that while they do part of what is commanded, they leave out other important parts. The weightier matters of the law, Matthew 23 and verse 23. We Christians need to be aware of this as well. Sometimes we reason uh, that as long as I do certain things, that I go to church on Sunday morning, 
or I give a minimal amount of, of, of whatever to the contribution, or I give a minimal amount of, of time to reading the Bible, or maybe prayer, that that will be enough. The question I ask is, do we base our salvation on works to the neglect of God's grace? You see, that's where a lot of people are failing today. You hear a lot about grace today. We're saved by grace and grace alone. The grace of God will save you. He's not going to send anyone to hell because you're just a good person. Folks, that is wrong. You know the scripture well, Matthew 7, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which what? Is in heaven. You see, there's, there's, there's conditions to that. And we, even as Christians today, cannot fall subject to that or fall prey to that kind of doctrine. And a lot of people are. But now you might ask some, and the Lord sure said, no, I don't, do, I don't believe that way. Well, a lot of times by our actions, that's what it shows. That if I do a minimal amount of something that that's going to get me there. Or if I do a, a large amount of good, that's going to get me there. Now what about obedience in our salvation? The challenge that we face this morning as Christians is understanding, now listen to me, the balance of God's grace, the balance of God's grace and our faith, now, there's three things here. And the need to do what God commanded. Those three things. We need a balance and understand that balance of God's grace, faith, and the need to do what He has commanded. You see, we need to clearly understand that what the Bible teaches about these subjects, grace, faith, and obedience, and works and law, we could go on. We need to understand those things. We need to ask the question, are works necessary? And if so, what type of works are needed? And is there a difference between works and obedience? The grace of God is the prime factor in our salvation. Without the grace of God, nothing else comes. But there are other parts. Without God's grace, the process stops completely. We've defined grace many, many times out of this pulpit, of it being the fact that as a gift, uh, unmerited favor, God's forgiving mercy, Opposed to merit, that gift. And we speak of it often as a, as a God's gift to us, and it is. But we want to examine this, that which God has done for our salvation. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. Turn there with me. 
Let's read this together this morning. Now notice it. The Bible says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to what? The riches of his grace. Now you go on in Ephesians chapter 2, in verses 8 and 9. For by grace, watch it right here. For by grace are you saved, what? By grace alone? Is that what it says? Does it stop right there? No, it does not. It does not stop by saying by grace alone. Many today will teach that. That by grace you are saved alone. Nothing else applies. And unfortunately, some of our brethren are teaching opposite of that, and some of the Lord's church is living that way as well. Or they are, our brethren are teaching that way, that by grace alone. Now watch it in verse 8. For by grace alone are you saved, what? Through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Nothing you can do is to earn that salvation. Now watch it in verse 9. Not of works, lest any man should boast, or that any man should glory. Another way to say it. Another version puts it. That any man should boast. Now you go on over into the book of Titus in chapter 2 and 11 and verse 13. It says to us, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now it goes on to say there as well, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Multitude of passages this morning could be added to this in our study. It is a gift, grace is, is a gift offered to each of us, but it is not forced upon us. The grace of God, listen to me, cannot be earned, but it is conditional. Did you hear that? The grace of God is not earned, but it is conditional. There are conditions of, uh, attached to the grace and to our salvation. There are things that you must do to accept that and to be granted those things. Now, <clears throat> that's where obedience enters the picture. Some say, that, oh, there was no grace is only a New Testament term. <coughs> grace, was, it was nothing found in, in the Old Testament, and that's all about the New Testament. Now, you go with me to the book of Joshua, and we're going to look at this together this morning. And we're going to go to the book of Joshua in chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 20. Grace is not just a New Testament term, but many will teach that thought. 
So chapter 6, and what you see there, again, the fall of Jericho. Notice what verse uh, 2 says. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. Notice there how Jericho was what? It was a gift from God. Now watch it closely as we continue on. However, that was a gift and the grace of God. We come, see here in verse 3, we know that the Israelites have wandered for 40 years and crossed the Jordan there and gone over into the land. Now notice in verse 3 what it says. If they were saved by grace alone, that gift of God, it would have stopped right there, wouldn't it? Now notice, you shall march around the city. Notice how even though it was a gift, they were what? Given instructions to follow in order to receive the city. Now notice this, they had to obey in order to receive God gave them instructions. Considering the extraordinary circumstances, it's obvious they believed God and trusted Him. They had faith. That's why Hebrews 11 and verse 30 is written, and it tells us, by faith, what? The walls of Jericho fell. Why? Because after they were encircled for what? Seven days. Those people, if they had only encircled for six days, the walls of Jericho never would have fallen. Just as we are today, one can say, oh, I'm saved by grace, I'm a good person, I'm a, I don't do bad things, I believe there's a God, I believe that Jesus Christ is, is the Lord and the Savior, but if he stops right there, he is lost, and those walls of sin will never fall away from him. Man has to be completely obedient. Complete obedience depends upon you and your choice. Now these people, they believed God and did what he said to do. Now you think about this whole situation as you can continue to read through that. It didn't make sense. This was not even a logical military way to take over a city. It made no sense or no humanly sense of how they were to <clears throat> uh, take over this city. Now you think about it. Marching around it. Doing what God had told them to do. You take and you think they had the, the, the lamps and the horns and the art. It made no sense to them. Just like today, many people today says baptism makes no sense. You mean I've got to be baptized? I've got to be put under this water? That makes no sense to me. I should only have to believe in my heart and the grace of God will save me. 
Well, I'm going to tell you what, you keep believing just in your heart and, and accepting Jesus as your personal Savior and praying that sinner's prayer that's not found in the Bible, and you'll be lost on the day of judgment. When we take and we continue to live by man's ways of thinking, man will mislead you, man will take and send your soul to the torments of hell. God has prepared a way for us. His grace has sent down His Word to us, instructions, just as He gave instructions to these people. You think about it. Is it going to do it your way, or are you going to do it God's way? That's the question. Another example is Gideon and the Midianites, the Midianites. Judges 7 and verses 1 through 22. Gideon was a judge God commissioned to deliver Israel, if you remember, from the Midianite oppression. But what's interesting is the way in which the army was defeated. Started out with 32,000. God says that's the way too many. And he cut it all the way down to 300 valiant men. You take and you look at verse 9, it happened on that same night that the Lord said to them, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered into your hand that God's gift of grace. There's no grace found in the Old Testament, some will say. It's only a New Testament term. They're wrong. You see, it was the actions of the faith and works. And we could go all examples. I'm thinking of Noah this morning. You go back into the book of Genesis. The world, Lord found, or God found our world in such a bad shape. And it says Noah found what? Grace in the eyes of God. Noah found grace. But you know what? Noah wasn't saved at that point when he found grace, did he? Nope. Noah had to go do something, didn't he? And if you go on and read in, the, in that chapter, I believe it's chapter 6, I believe if you go on and read in that, at the very end he says, And Noah did all that God had commanded him and told him to do. And guess what? Not only him, but seven other souls were saved. Eight total. Now Noah could have stopped at his family and his family could have said, he could have said to his family, God's grace has been extended to me and it's extended to you. And we're just going to sit here, we're going to wait on this rain and this flood. And God is going to deliver me and us. Now God said for me to build this big old boat. Now he said, now family, he said, he told me to build it out of certain wood and certain lengths and heights and windows and doors. And he told me to do all this thing, but he said his grace 
He loves me. I've already found grace. He is not going to kill me in this flood. Same people are thinking the same today. God loves me. He's not going to send me to hell. I'm going to tell you, if Noah hadn't have built that ark and he had left one screw out of place the way God had put it, it would have sunk as fast as a rock in water. Noah had to take and do what God has said, just as we do today. God has revealed to us the way of salvation. Ephesians 2 and verse 9, in the context of grace, says that our salvation is not of works, lest anyone should boast. Does this mean that, that to be saved, we do, that we do, uh, do not do anything? Or is it dealing specifically a type of works? In other words, is obedience necessary? And if so, how do we explain passages such as this and others that we could find? God has revealed the way of salvation. In Romans 3 and 20, the Bible says to us, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. You go on in Romans 4, 2 and 4. Abraham, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. No. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted or imputed, imputed to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. You see, passages like that tell us that we have to do what God says. You see, faith is doing something. In all those passages, we find works are associated with justification. Now notice in James chapter 24 as well. We know faith. James tells us a whole lot about faith, doesn't he? There at the very end, he says, faith without works, just as the body without the spirit is dead, Verse 26, so faith without works is dead also. Works or man is justified by works and not by faith only. You see, people teach grace and faith. Oh, it's all you got to have. But there's works involved. There's things that must be done. 1 John 5, verses 3 and 4. Now notice this. There are things that must be done for us to enter heaven and to have salvation. You see, a lot of people will run around and say, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. How, how are you saved? I want you to think about it just for a moment. You claim salvation that you're saved How was you saved? And it was a way how God said to be saved. Think about that. 
The day that you, as some of the world will put it, accepted Jesus. Does it line up with how the Bible says you're saved? I'm going to tell you, if someone told you to say the sinner's prayer, they lied to you. If someone told you that you are saved by the grace and the mercy and the love of God only, they lied to you. But now if a person told you that through grace and through faith by work and through the baptism and the blood of Christ, you through our immersion baptism, you're saved. But now a lot of people want to stop right there. And they want to depend upon the grace of God to get them to heaven. But there's a lot of other things that play into that. You know, it's 1 John chapter 5 and 3 and 4. For this is the love of God. What is it? That we keep His commandments. And he goes on to say, and His commandments are not burdensome. Notice how we have commandments that we, we, that we will keep if we what? Love God. 1 John 2 and verse 3 there says, we know him by what? Keeping his commandments. Acts 17 and verses 30 and 31, God commands all men everywhere to what? Repent. Romans 6, 17 and 18, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you what? obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine into which you were delivered. And it goes on that you were set free and became slaves of righteousness and not to sin. The response there in Romans was obedience. Hebrews 5 and verse 9 tells us that, that uh, Jesus became the author of eternal salvation because of those who just accepted his grace. No. He says, those who obey Him. There's more to it. 1 Peter 1 and 22 says, just you purified your souls in what? Obeying the truth through the Spirit. Again, Matthew 7, 21 through 23 why not using the word obey speaks of one doing the will of the Father or obeying Him. I think that's a good stopping point. This is actually a two-part lesson. And next week we will look at the difference between works, lest anyone should boast, and doing what God commands us to obey. The different types of work that are listed in the Bible. Let's go back to that last statement. Obeying Him. Obeying the truth. Those who obey the will of the Father. This morning, have you obeyed the will of the Father? Maybe you have not been baptized for the remission of your sins. You've not obeyed the Father. And right now you're lost. Right now you have no hope. Maybe you, 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 you've been misled. 
Maybe you've been misled. Even by, we don't think sometimes that our family would mislead us, but a lot of times our, our family have, has not learned the truth yet. And maybe you're the one that God has uh, allowed to happen the way it is that you're the one that's going to bear the truth to your family. I don't know. But I do know this morning, if you haven't obeyed the will of the Father, you have not been baptized for remission of your sins, you're not in any shape, form, or fashion saved and ready to go to heaven. I do know this morning that if you have committed sin after obeying the gospel and you have sinned publicly, that requires public repentance. When you brought shame, and you see, that's one thing we've lost in the church. We don't think that the sin that we commit out in the world, whether it be at work, school, community, wherever, we don't think that that brings reproach against the church. We don't hear that a lot in sermons anymore. Your actions, your failures publicly to people of the world bring shame to McCoinsville Church of Christ and to the church as a whole, to Christianity. We don't hear a lot about that anymore. But when you are in public and you sin and you can't take care of it with one person, you've publicly sinned. And people, you don't know who knows. And they could be standing behind the corner saying, oh, if that's a Christian, and I'm going to tell you what, you don't want that said. You see, that shame and reproach upon the church, that causes people to look at the church of Christ in a negative way and say, oh, I'm just as good as they are. And that's a sin. When people know that you are baptized and you are a member of the Lord's church, and you act in such a way, whatever it may be, I don't, different sins for different folks. You bring shame upon this church. You see, sometimes in the Lord's church today, we don't know who's a member and who's not a member. Because they float. We call them floaters, we call them drifters from church to church. Heard a lesson not too long ago talking about this, the new age of, of young people. No one believes in, in placing membership anymore because it ties them down. The Bible teaches that. We see example after example in the Bible. But if I don't do that, I have no connection. I have nothing to hold me here. I, I, I'm not under the rule of this eldership or, or I, I, no one can really hold me here. If something happens I don't like, I can just get up and go. Now that's not a, a sermon today, but I think that's a, an addition. You see, salvation in a church requires membership. And that membership is found through the blood of Christ. We don't vote on you. We don't say, oh, I think they should or shouldn't. You see, God has already voted on you. God has already made it available to you, the blood of Christ, His grace, His mercy. You just have to accept it.
and become a member of the Lord's church and be faithful and not bring shame upon it. Don't bring shame upon the church. And when you have been baptized, maybe it was years ago, but maybe you've been baptized and you've fallen away, you're bringing shame upon the church. Maybe people in your family or these elders or, or a deacon or a member here has called and begged and pleaded and you still refuse. You're bringing shame upon the church. You're bringing shame upon God and Jesus Christ, the one he died for. You see, we need to clean those things up. You see, the Bible teaches that the church is to be what? Pure. Yeah, book of Ephesians. And you know what else it says there? That it be without spot. That it be without blemish. And I'm going to tell you what, we're finding in the Lord's church all across this land in the brotherhood a lot of spots and blemishes. Because people do not see their individual sin is affecting all of us. We have to fix that. And the grace alone of God and your good works of just being a good person is not going to fix it. Only repentance and confession and obeying the gospel can fix it. This morning, maybe you need to fix something in your life. We encourage you to come. Together we stand as we sing.